of preaching here at City Hope is that you miss out on the sweets. So if the welcome team would like to save me one for later, that will be great. You also miss out on the various yogurts and chocolate bars and other sweets that are being eaten uh, as you sit here enjoying the presence of God. It's just to let you know that I can see people. (laughs) Okay. We are going to finish today our our summer series on Psalm 141. If you have your Bible with you, your phone or whatever, if you'd like to turn to it, otherwise it will come up on the screen. Excellent. And I'm going to read it through. Psalm 141. O Lord, I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. Has anyone ever said that to you of something you've said? (laughs) You've gone into work on Monday morning and they've looked at you and they've said, hey, As one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. Never. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. Let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for your presence here as we've worshipped you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and take these words of today and make them useful in the building up of your kingdom wherever we are going this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're looking at verses 8 to 10. Hallelujah. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. As we've been looking at this psalm over the summer, and um, the various sermons are up on our website so you can catch up with them, we've seen that this is a psalm of David and that David is in trouble. And so he's calling to God for help. He has possibly, we don't know the exact circumstances of the psalm, but he has possibly enemies within his own family. He didn't get on well with um, his, one of his wives. He had several. Um, he had trouble with his children, and he had many enemies within. Or maybe they were enemies outside. It was Saul, the king prior to David, tried to kill David on a number of occasions, and Saul was his best mate's father. Then there were the Philistines who were constantly attacking the nation. So there's enemies everywhere coming in and out. There are also, at times, his own temptations which he was having to deal with. Although the context of this psalm is much more pressure 
from outside. So he says, God, come quickly to me. Guard my mouth, because I'm liable to say the wrong things when I'm under pressure. Guard my heart, because I'm liable to be led astray when I'm under pressure. Keep me from evil. God, do all you can to prevent me going to the delicacies of evil. And he says, surround me with righteous people. Let them correct me. Let them guard me. Let them um, stir me and encourage me. So guard my lips, guard my heart, surround me with people who will look after me. And then in all honesty, in the psalm, he gets a little bit carried away, which is one of the things that John, G- John Greenway was talking about last week, where he starts recognising, actually, God's going to step in and he's going to destroy the enemies and everything's going to be all right and they're going to be crushed and he gets a little bit carried away in the Hebrew and we don't really quite know what it means, but he's just saying, God, you're going to do it and I'm going to come out right. And then he stops. He says, but, but actually my eyes are on you. In all the pressure, inside and out, My eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. That's why I want my lips guarded. That's why I want my heart guarded. That's why I want righteous people around me, because I want to stay with you in the pressure. And you have to remember, when we're talking about David here, that we are talking about a guy who is in the top ten of Bible people. Okay? So we're not talking about... You know, Dave Nunn and Vic and Paul and John, elders of City Hope. You know, we're not talking about them. We're talking about the ten tops of the Bible. Abraham, who received that initial promise from God. From you, Abraham, all the families on earth are going to be blessed. Moses, who led the people out of Egypt and towards the promised land. Deborah who rescued the nation at a time of crisis when they were about to be overrun and the men were too frightened to do anything. She said, come on men, let's go and beat them because God is with us. Ruth married a refugee in her nation. He died. She's left with a mother-in-law who comes from another nation. And the mother-in-law says, blow this, I'm going back. And she says, well, I will come with you. I will change my nation, I will change my religion, and I will come with you to the land of Israel. And she is proud. Jesus is proud to say, Ruth, one of my great, 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 great grandparents, the woman who changed everything and came into the purposes of God. And then you have King David himself who consolidated the great nation of Israel expanded its borders and left a huge inheritance for his son Solomon, who doesn't make it to the top ten. The prophet Elijah, who just as the nation of Israel was about to lose its faith, with signs, wonders and mighty miracles, steps in and says, choose, if, if you want God, choose him, if you want this God, choose him, but me and my family, we're serving this God. Esther, who saved a nation from being annihilated. Then you have John the Baptist, the greatest outside of the kingdom of God. Then you have Peter, who spoke that first sermon, that 
gave birth to the church. And then the Apostle Paul, the first travelling apostle, really, that took the nations to the end of the world. We're talking about one of the top ten in the Bible. And why do I say that? <coughs> because he was asking God for help. He didn't feel like he was in the top ten. He didn't feel like he had it all together. He was asking God for help. And he says, but in all the pressure, my eyes are on you. And what did he see? Saw three things. First, God is great. God is magnificent. God is wonderful. God is, <laughs> is indescribable in beauty and majesty and glory. He's eternal, everlasting, infinite. He's full of love. He saw God. And then he saw that God is always right. So when God says, I don't lie, he doesn't. He never lies. And so he says to us, I don't lie, you don't lie. I don't steal, I give. So you don't steal, you give. He says, I'm faithful, you be faithful to your friends, to your family, to your husband, to your wife. He says, everything I do is perfectly right. That's all I want from you. Just do everything perfectly right and we can be friends. And that's one of the second thing he sees in God. You read through the Psalms. God is great, God is right. But he also understood this, that creates a problem which you have already, by the look on your faces, cottoned on to. We're not always right. We mess up. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we're unfaithful. We do all sorts of things. And so now there's a gap in the friendship. But David sees that that gap can be filled by this God, who is also full of love and mercy and compassion. So David can write psalms about how magnificent God is, how powerful he is, how he rules the earth. But he can also write psalms, God, create in me a clean heart. Forgive me, have mercy on me, because I don't match it. And David saw both. In fact, all three things. God is great, God is right, and God is forgiving. And this made me think. I have a, a daughter-in-law who comes from a charismatic Catholic background. And uh, she now goes to my son, to, with my son, to a similar church to ours in Brixton. She made an interesting comment the other day. She said this. When we have communion as in our char charismatic Catholic group, one of the things that we have to do is to confess our sins to one another. She said, one of the things I find funny about this church, not this church, the church she was going to, is there's so much hidden sin because people are worried about 
they're wrong being exposed. So whereas a Catholic church, which you would knock a little bit for being unforgiving, we're there having communion and we're confessing our sins. Whereas you lot confess it only to Jesus and you keep it just a little bit hidden. It was an interesting comment and one that really quite spoke to me, particularly in the context of reading this psalm of one of the great ten great people of the Bible having to come to God and saying, God, I'm, I'm facing pressure and I need help. I'm struggling here. I need help. I need help guarding my mouth, my heart. I don't want to be led astray. I need people around me. So I'm going to say three sentences. And I'm going to sort of something the word. <laughs> it's just gone. just completely gone. Um, preface is a good way of putting it. Preface the word with this. Just remember, as the old saying goes, whenever you point the finger, three fingers are always pointing back at you. Okay? So I want you to hear this with the harshness that it comes, but remembering that three of the fingers are pointing at me. Okay? I just want to preface it with that. Say, yes, sir. So these are my three sentences. <coughs> if you think you have to be perfect to come to church, then your thinking is wrong. There's no argument about that. If you think that you need to have everything together before you can come and share, pray, read the Bible on a Sunday in your connect group, in your connect community, if you think you've got to have everything together, then you are wrong. And if you think that you can't share your faith at work, because of what happened over the breakfast table in the morning, you are wrong. You are wrong. We are a group of people who, like David, are in trouble. And the safest place for Christians is feeling they need God. That's where we're safest. When we think we can do it all right, we're in trouble. You know, John said about <coughs> the worship going on long enough so that I didn't have to speak. <laughs> no, but years ago, it's not so true now, but it is still true. There is part of me that thinks, yes, please, God, just so I don't have to get up and talk. Because I'm fundamentally shy, and it's so, I mean, I, I love it once I'm up here. But the walk from my chair to here, it's like a mile. That's why often I come down to the front first. I do it in stages. <laughs> you think, Dave's great. He just walks up. It's easy for him. <laughs> no, I do quite often come down to the front row simply so it's less far to walk to the stage. The great thing about that is I still have to say, God, I can't do this. I need you. And I've actually prayed, God, don't take that away from me because I want to need you, because that is where I'm safe. The gospel is about forgiveness. It's about compassion. It's about mercy. <coughs> There's a, um, a great um, story in the book of Zechariah 
which um, is in the Old Testament just towards the end. It's got a lot of funny stuff in, but in that needs a little bit of working at to understand. But there's a story of a guy called Joshua, and it's not the Joshua who didn't quite make it into the ten, but a different Joshua. And uh, <coughs> he's turned up to speak to God, but he's had a rough week. And all week the devil has been um, accusing him. You're not good enough, you don't pray enough, you don't read the Old Testament enough, you haven't even got the New Testament yet. And he's, <laughs> <coughs> and he's, he's standing before God. And God looks at him and says, hey, you've, your hat's dirty, your shirt's dirty, your shoes need changing. And Joshua's like, yeah, I know. And God says, well, I've got the answer to it. And God steps in, takes off the hat, puts a clean one on, takes off his shirt, puts a clean one on, puts new trousers on him, puts new shoes on him. Because that's how God sees him. And that's how God sees us when we've come to Jesus as clean and perfect and pure, but we still need him. Romans 8, 31, 35 says this. <coughs> there are eight chapters and 30 verses before this, so I'm just reading in the middle, but it's all been about how, how great the gospel is. And so Paul writes, so what should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? So Jesus has died for you. You've repented, you've asked for forgiveness. You've turned to Jesus to ask for his help in that initial stages. That's what brought you into, into the knowledge of God, that you knew you weren't good enough. Now that he's done that and he's accepted you when you were at your worst, now you're one of his children. Isn't he going to give you everything? But it's as, it, as we do it, in dependence upon him. If our eyes are on God, we're pure, clean, and forgiven. If our eyes are on ourselves, we're never good enough. And if you feel that you need to be a certain something to come to City Hope, Apart from God, your eyes are on yourself. Do I need the right haircut? Do I, do I need to have read the Bible enough this week to come? Do I need to have been sinless to come? No. What you need is a heart that is crying out, God, help me. God, help me. I'm struggling. I'm battling. And one of the saddest things that I've had to deal with over the years has been Christians who've got themselves into trouble and then run away from the church because they thought, I'm not good enough. And the answer is, yes, you're not good enough. That's why you should be over here. That's why you should be coming back to God, saying sorry. That's why you should be coming back. God, help me. Guard my lips. Guard my heart. Put people around me, a righteous people, good people, who will correct me and help me and stir me on. And David does this by saying, my eyes are fixed on you. You see, you need to look where you're going. But the truth is, you will go where you're looking. You need to look where you're going, 
But the truth is, you will go where you're looking. Illustration, simple. I go to the shops, I have my list, beautifully prepared in my wife's own handwriting, not my own. It includes things like vegetables, greenery, occasional flowers, rice and beans. That's what I head for. Then I see the chocolate. You go where you're looking. <laughs> I, had a, I had one of those moments of revelation of how stupid I am as I was thinking about this. Some of you are too young to have these re re revelations yet, but they will come. <laughs> moments when you realise, man, am I stupid. <coughs> and I was just thinking about when I'm on holiday, I can be in the in the prettiest town with the most old castle and the beautiful rivers and the scenery, and I can be looking at it, and we can be heading towards the attraction that we're going to, like this. And then I see an estate agent. <laughs> it's just weird. I cannot walk through a new town without seeing an estate agent. And I've often pondered why. <laughs> then I realised. It's because I am so stupid. <laughs> See, I spend 11 months and two weeks of my year saying, London is just too expensive. It's ridiculous. The prices are too much. The rents are too high. I can't afford to buy. My children can't afford to buy. They can't afford to rent properly. Most of City Hope can't afford to live here. London is just awful. And then two weeks of the year, it's like this. Let's go to the castle estate agent. <laughs> hey, Les, look at this one. Eight bedrooms, swimming pool, tennis court, <laughs> two and sixpence in old money. <laughs> and then there is something within me goes, yes, I live in the most expensive city in London. <laughs> Why? How can I be st stupid? <laughs> but you go where you're looking. You need to look where you're going, but you go where, you, where you're looking. And what are you looking at? Pretty women? Handsome men? Money? Professional recognition? Where are our eyes really focused? People come against you. I I had, um, my wife and I had a girl once who, <coughs> she slandered us to, well, to police, the Evangelical Alliance, which is a, actually I probably shouldn't say on this. Um, anyway, she was really opposed to us. And firstly, your eyes, yeah God, I'm one of your children, but man who I cross about this. Am I angry? <laughs> this is totally unjustified. This is dragging my name through the dirt. I'm having to do interviews that are just so wrong that I should even be answering these questions. If I, if I meet this person, oh, oh God, you're there as well. Yeah, that's fine. But I have a little problem over here. Okay, I'll be back. <coughs> <laughs> 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 
I'll be, I'll be back, God. I'll be back once I've dealt with this. What do you mean? <laughs> What's this about love and forgive? Yeah, fine. Yeah, I know that I'm loved, I'm forgiven. But... <laughs> my eyes went where I was looking and it takes time for God to say hang on a minute come back to me bring your eyes back to me Psalm 73 (coughs) is a great psalm and it has some really good verses in it for situations like this it's talking about a guy it's quite a long one so I won't read it he's looking out at the world and he's really cross. He says, it ain't fair, God. Look at the rich. They have no struggles. They're always healthy. They're strong. They've got everything they need. Look at the wicked. They get away with everything. Look at the arrogant. They're always sort of know the right answer. They're always going in the right way. Look at this person. Look at this person. Look at this person. Look at this person. It's not fair. I'm trying to seek after you and they seem to have everything and I have nothing. This isn't fair. I wonder whether it's worth it. And he says this in verse 16 of Psalm 73. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered God's house then I understood what was really going on. Once my eyes refocused on God, I understood. But how do you do this? How do you focus on God? Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Well, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Just fix your thoughts on Jesus. Yep. Yeah. That's what we want to do. But how can we do it? Well, the first thing is we have to find out what God is like. (laughs) You know, there used to be that rage for people with little bracelets with, what would Jesus do? Is that WWJD? Thank you. (coughs) On their wrists. And uh, it used to be very common, and every really good Christian had one. (coughs) I never managed it. But I always found it quite odd because some of these people wearing what would Jesus do, when you talk to them, they had no idea what Jesus would do. It was like, what would Jesus do? I don't know, but I think he would do what I want to do. (laughs) It was just weird. That's what they did. And the reason was they didn't know what Jesus would do because they didn't know much about Jesus because they didn't know much about God. And so in the end, they just had to say, well, this is what we think Jesus would do. Oh, it's what we want to do. That's good. Whoa, we'll go over here. So the first thing you've got to do to keep your eyes on God is to know him. And unfortunately, there's only four real ways of doing that. The first is reading your Bible which is a great book and has 10 really great characters. (laughs) I deliberately didn't include God because he sort of... (coughs) Yeah. It's like... In a league of his own, that's the word I'm looking for. It's like if, if all of those got gold medals, God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are just just so far above it's not worth they're platinum they are the best I'm just talking about humans 
and excluding there the humanity of Jesus. That's why. <coughs> what, <laughs> what, what, what are, actually, it's great, I've got a bit of time. What I'm really doing there, just for those who don't know, is trying to deflect a conversation over dinner about why I didn't include Jesus in the top ten. <laughs> That's really what I'm trying to do. <laughs> but it will. And isn't it great to, for you to know that I'm going home to an argument I'm going to lose? <laughs> so... You need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to talk to people who know God, and you need to, need to let the experiences that you have be permeated with the life of God. All of us have challenges. Some of us are right in them now, others of us are not. But when you come through those challenges, reflect on them and see how God has brought you through so that next time, you can draw on that experience and say, actually, I was really short of money and I prayed and God answered. And I was really short of money, I prayed and God answered. I'm really short of money, what should I do? Hang on a minute, I've got a history here. I've got a history. I can pray and believe. Grow in that experience. <coughs> Read the Bible, pray, talk to people, grow in experience. Find out what God is like and then you'll find it easier to fix your eyes on him because you will find that he loves you. He cares for you. He's there to pick you up when you've fallen down. He's there to forgive when you make a mistake. He's there to bring strength when you don't think you can carry on anymore. God is there. <coughs> the other, or second one, is focus on the final destination. The final destination. <coughs> Christianity is a journey. And there are two great questions that come to any parent on a journey. You know what it is? Just a minute. <laughs> you have packed up the buggy, strapped the child in, grabbed the other two, gone down the lift, you're out the door, you're on your way to the station. Or you've packed up the car, You've finally beaten the car seat and got them in it. <laughs> you are now between tw 10 and 17 minutes into the journey. And there will be two questions that come. The first one is totally irrelevant to this sermon, but you want to know what it is. And it's this. Can I do a wee? <laughs> that one's irrelevant. <laughs> To the point of the sermon. The second one is this. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And when it comes to Christianity, the answer to that question of are we there yet is an absolute, categorical and certain yes and no. <laughs> yes, we are there. If you've asked if you've come to Jesus and said, look, I need, 
I need forgiveness. I need the work of your cross to affect my life. I need you to change me and turn me around and set me off in a new direction. If you've done that, then the answer of whether you're there, the answer is yes, you are. You are a child of God. You are clean and pure in God's eyes. You can come at any time of day and night and he will listen to you and he will answer you and he will accept you. You can play any part in the life of the church because you are in God's family. Yes, it's done, dusted, that's it. The second part of the question is, are we there yet? No. (laughs) We're still in our flesh. We still have weaknesses. We still lose arguments. We do have defense mechanisms. One of, one of mine in the early days, um, and one that I'm particularly good at, and will still come sometimes, is I can just pervert the truth a little bit so that I don't have to actually answer the question fully. I'm very good at that. I was. I'm getting worse at it, which you'll be pleased to know. <coughs> Others, it may be stealing. Others, it may be cheating. Others, it may be unfaithfulness. But where are you heading? What motivates me to want to change? Part of it is I've been changed and I have the power of the Spirit working in my life. The other part is my eyes are fixed on you, God. And where I'm going, (coughs) you are so wonderful, so magnificent. You are always right. You have shown me such mercy, forgiveness, compassion. You've strengthened me. I want to walk this way. I don't want to be deflected by this sort of sin. I don't want to be deflected by this way of living. I want to live as you want me to live. And I want my eyes to be on you. And I want to go where I'm looking, which is towards you. And that's day by day by day by day. David was one of the great ten of the Bible. And yet time and time again when you read through the Psalms, what you read is not, hey God, it's me again, I'm back. Aren't you a lucky God? It's God have mercy on me. I'm weak. I'm failing. I'm under pressure. I need you. I need your law or your word and I need your people. Come and help me. And when, you, when I do that, when my eyes are focused on you, you will keep me from the snares that you have laid for me. You will keep me from the traps set by evildoers. You know the wicked, they will fall into their own nets. And I will pass by in safety. But we don't do that by saying we're all right. We do it by expressing our dependence on God. <coughs> Jesus put it in a slightly different way in Matthew six thirty-three. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We want to be a church that is motivated by our dependence on God to be all that God wants us to be.
to be free enough to confess our sins to one another because each of us knows we're not perfect. Free enough to share our lives with one another because we know we're dependent on a living God. David began the psalm, O Lord, I call to you, come quickly, because his eyes were fixed on the sovereign Lord. Let's stand. You may need to translate these two questions, but I hope that you can. If you feel you need to be perfect, if you feel you need to be something you aren't, to come to City Hope, I want you just quietly to come to God and say, I want to be the person you want me to be. I don't want to conform to what I feel is a pattern other than the pattern of the life you want for me. And if you know you've been looking the wrong way, I want you now just to ask God, grab my eyes again. Let me look the right way. My eyes are on you, God. I recognize I need to be dependent on you. And I recognize out of that dependence will come freedom. Let's just think about those two questions. If they're totally irrelevant to you, then just thank God for his mercy and grace and favor on you. And then I'll pray. We do thank you, God, that you're a good, good father. We thank you that you love your children. We thank you that you love humanity. And I pray for anyone in this room that really doesn't know you, doesn't understand how good you are, how right you are, how merciful you are. You'll just bring revelation, as you have to many of us. You'll show them truth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you are you will come and set us free to be your people with greater and uh, greater freedom. Freedom to serve you with joy. Freedom to be all that you have made us. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and release your freedom. The freedom to be the children of God among us. Father, I pray for any who know they've been looking the wrong way. Come and bring mercy and knowledge of forgiveness. Come and release from anger and bitterness. Come and release from shame and guilt, Father. Let, them be, let that be handed over to the cross where it has been dealt with once and for all and effectively forever. Come, Lord. And we pray for us as your people that we will walk in boldness and confidence, dependent, on our God. In Jesus' name. Amen.